Welcome. This is episode 11 of the Human Nurture Podcast, and I'm your host, Jason Brand. This is season one, and in each episode, we are looking at a different underlying element of the psychobiological approach to couples therapy. And today, we will be talking to Rob Fisher. Rob is here in the Bay Area. He's across a bridge in Marin from me in Berkeley. And Rob and I will be talking about the underlying element of somatic therapy. I decided to rush this episode out because I just find it so helpful while we are in quarantine and while we're doing video therapy and while reckoning with the COVID-19 virus. Rob is, his therapy is, you'll hear it, I mean, he just, he does a combination of mindfulness and um, and somatic therapy. He's a Hakomi trainer. He's got a lot of experience and he really um, is an experiential therapist and um, super fun to talk to. Um, you'll hear in the episode, he just he just brought so much. He, there's a poem, I'm gonna add um, an extra little video clip where he helped um, me look at a video of, uh, actually in Spanish, um, read the body language in the video. He leads me through a somatic intervention, which is also a couple's somatic intervention. I mean, there's just a lot here and um, a lot of heart um, and actually, it was a lot of feeling for me as as we were going through this, and and um, it felt like what I really wanted out of the episode happened, which was that I wanted it to be to the I wanted the episode to feel more somatic, and I asked Rob about that, and and he really really showed up for it. Um, so I hope you enjoy, and um, I hope you'll keep listening. We got another episode coming up soon with my PAC colleagues talking about our first weeks doing um, doing telehealth and um, reflections on an article that we wrote for the PAC blog. So anyway, next up right here, Rob Fisher. Hope you enjoy. Do you want to start with a meditation or start with a poem? I have the poem handy here on my on my cell phone. So I'm yeah, let's let let's start with a poem. That sounds great. And then go into the meditation. Sure, that sounds like a great way to go. Okay. And how much time are we taking till? Um, you got until seven forty-five. Does that work for you? Six forty-five now. Yeah. Okay. Great. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. We'll start with a poem, as all auspicious things should start with poems. And this is by the famous author Rob Fisher. <laughs> I, I, every once in a while, I get like calls or emails from somebody. They've used this at their wedding or something. They uh, text me to um, thank me for it. I actually wrote this for a class I taught at JFK. It was really uh, director of students, master students in marriage and family therapy. In hmm. a way, it embodies my sense of what therapy is about for me. Great. So it's called If You Forget. If you forget how beautiful you are, I will remember. I'll remember your barefoot connection to the earth, the risks you have taken, and the compassion in your heart. I will remember the courage of your questions and the tiny wrinkles that make your bright and shining eyes so welcoming. I will remember how you shine in your enthusiasm, your delicate embarrassment, the passion and serious intensity behind your words. If you forget, come with me. There's a path I know high up on the mountain and deep in the core of the rich black earth where we can drink together from the pool of your tears and listen as the mountains echo with the sound of your laughter. If you forget, I will taste one more time the deep dark sweetness of your soul, that wonderful essence that belongs only to you. If you're tired, Come rest in the warmth of my hands and I will whisper stories of your greatness in your ears. Oh, how I'm intoxicated by the flavors of your soul. Mm. It's really pretty, really beautiful. I, I, I was surprised to hear that you wrote it for graduate students. I, I sort of imagined you, you know, thinking about a, a, a muse of some, of some sort as you wrote it. Mm. Um, and, and where is the crossover? How does, how does that describe, 
um, the way that you work and, and the way that you think about therapy or the poem? Um, it's a good question. It really, I, I think that therapy is about midwifing the gentle unfolding of the soul. Of the soul. Mm. And which is different from looking at what's wrong with people and fixing it. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, all the studies that I've read about the effectiveness of psychotherapy really do not point towards technique. You know, I've got all kinds of interesting techniques. Dance has all kinds of interesting techniques. You know, they're good. But I think the internal state of the therapist can either inspire people to kind of unfold and embody their own uniqueness or not. And so I think our, our major job is to become the kind of people that inspire people to unfold the riches that are within them, to really express who they are, their own uniqueness in, in an embodied form and a connected form to, to themselves and to others, not just kind of random self-expression, but kind of connected to you um, too. So I think that's what I try to offer. Yeah, you know, I probably don't succeed 100% of the time. <laughs> but um, I try to offer that relationship. And I think that's more important than in the scaffolding of any clever techniques that I might come up with or hear about. And I certainly have lots of those. But they're really far junior um, to the, the, the underlying philosophy of doing that. And, and in couples therapy, how do you do it for two people? You know, because my unfolding might trigger you in some way and then how do we work with a trigger in some way that that feels healing and caring um and that allows you room for you as well so it's tricky that's tricky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I would i'd want my clients to feel like they were held in this way that that i can see not just what's difficult because couples therapy is like you know let's get take all of our dirty laundry for the last 15 years and bring it over to the psychotherapist guy, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and let's see what he can do with it or she can do it or they can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, as you know, as I was uh, reading your book, which, I, which I really highly recommend to people, which is called the experiential psychotherapy, experiential psychotherapy with couples, a guide for the creative pragmatist. Um, I really enjoyed the book and um or I'm enjoying the book, I should say. And I'm, I'm, um, and there's a way that I, it's, it's the way that I want to do couples therapy, but you can't, you couples therapy, like you just said, people bring in their dirty laundry and it's often not an unfolding, a gentle unfolding of the soul. It's, uh, it's kind of a shit show. Um, and, 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 and I mean, and, and, and so I, I want to get more specific about bodies and, and somatic work here about, about before you do, I yeah. said you should entitle this broadcast, this <laughs> podcast, shit show or gentle unfolding of the soul. <laughs> the thin line between shit show and gentle unfolding of the soul. Um, all right. As long as you agree to co-headline it with me. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I think that goes to that really goes to the heart of the issue. So how do you stay on the right side of that line? Well, that's really it's that's the dharma battle of psychotherapy, I think. You know, both individuals and with couples, especially with couples. Like, you know, cuz they couples can get going and there're these well-worn neural pathways um that people will just go down you know they've gone down a thousand times before and your partner says just the right thing to you and you're off and running and your amygdala is lit up and your reptilian brain is lit up and you know you become a lizard you know and you become a reptile and you all you can think of is you know fleeing or fighting or you're frozen you know you're in a trauma reaction Hmm. and you're off and running you're gonna bite or you're gonna scratch or you're gonna run and, you know, you try to talk to a reptile, you know, and see where you get with communication. <laughs> you know, it doesn't go very well. Uh-huh. My dog tells me that. She's a mammal. But my dog tells me, you human beings, she says, like, something wrong with you. You think that you can, like, talk about everything you're getting anywhere? You know, you should wag your tails. You should, you know, cuddle up to somebody. You know, you can bark a little bit, you know, but mm. don't, get, don't go too far with it. You know, people get annoyed, you know, and mm. it's more about connection and a lot of the stuff is nonverbal. Yeah. So, but I do want to answer your question more specifically. That that is the battle to go from some kind of fight. Often, I, either you'll get couple the difficult couples, the ones that come in and they have a fight, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you know, Rob Fisher says mindfulness is the golden key to psychotherapy. You know, okay, so that's great. You know, go go get mindful, but how do you do that? You know, mm-hmm. um, or they are really disengaged and they just have nothing to say to each other. And so mm-hmm. those are in some. They're both hard, but in opposite ways. Mm-hmm. One is death by fire, and the other is death by ice. Mm-hmm. So. But the, you know, I think the the ones that most of us struggle with the, the most are the couples that are really volatile, mm-hmm. and um, there's a whole class that I do just on volatile couples. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to. I have a a course, an online course in in couples therapy in general, and I, I want to add another course to volatile couples. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's several that I can give you like the, the bullet points of, of what do you do with those kind of couples? I think that would be helpful um, from, a, you know, from a somatic or mindfulness perspective. I guess the, as a, maybe as a way to get into it would be why as therapists do we often try to sort of reason with the volatile couple? And do you think that's, you know, like, oh, well, let's look at this reasonably she's saying this and you're saying this and and let's you know and let's let's figure this out together guys um and which often just turns into a mess um yeah and so so i'd be curious to know how you how how you get but why why that why you think that's so alluring and how to kind of how to get past that and into something that feels more somatically based yeah it's very close to what my wife tells me. She, she says, she says, why do you try talking to me when you know I'm triggered? <laughs> you know, you're smart enough, you know? And, and I say, well, I didn't realize you're triggered. I thought you were making sense, you know? And she'll say, no, you're like really off base here, you know? Like, and so there's something else is called for. And really when you're, when you're in your amygdala, you're in your, your reptilian brain, you know, down in your brainstem, words just don't cut it. And I mean, I spent years helping people communicate and I can still help people communicate. You know, I can help them with the eye messages and, you know, and, and getting underneath what's happening that way. But often, and I think Stan would agree with us too, is one contribution he made that I really love is he, he says, it's not about the content and it's not even about the roles. It's about, attachment injuries mm. and and the physiology that goes with those injuries mm. so my physiology is going nuts and you're gonna have a conversation with me you know <laughs> who's nuts you know like <laughs> this is my wife's point of course right. <laughs> so i think you have to i can give you an example from a session that would be awesome yeah this couple comes in and i scheduled a two-hour session first hour session was really bad you know, it's one of those sessions where I think I'd better go back to graduate school. <laughs> and, and so I said, okay, we're, we're, let's, this is half time here, you know, like let's pause for a second. I don't think this is going so well. You know, it seems like we, the more you talk, the worse it gets. Hmm. They're saying, yeah, so we've got to do something else, right? You know, otherwise you're, you, you, what you're doing here, you could do at home for free. And um, so let's see, let's go some other direction. And so I, I said, give me a moment, let me think about it. We can all, all, also all think about it, uh-huh. which is good. So I'm actually calling on their prefrontal cortices there. Mm-hmm. Let's think as opposed to let's have a fight. And so I'm thinking about it. And I think I come up with something and I say, you know, I think the problem, if I look at this, I think the problem is that your knees are too far apart. <laughs> so they kind of look at me like, God, who is this chucker? You know? Not only did we waste the first half, first hour of session, but now he's telling us our knees are too far apart. And so they kind of look at each other like, we're paying for this. And I said, I said, you know, I'm pretty smart. You know, like, why don't you humor me here? And and so they kind of look at me. I said, yeah, we've got to get them closer together. And, um, and I said, so go ahead, move your knees closer together. And so they like closed the gap by half. And I look at them and I say, hmm, I don't think so. I think I got to do more. Got to get them closer. Mm-hmm. Finally, I get them so their knees are touching. As soon as they, their knees touch, they, uh, he puts his arm around her shoulder spontaneously. Huh. And she puts her hand on his leg. Mm-hmm. 
And so touch is the language of attachment. Mm. If somehow the bond is threatened, people are going to go into these traumatic reactions and you can't talk your way out of them. I mean, you can, but it takes a really long time. So you can short circuit this whole thing, not always, sometimes, mm-hmm. um, by getting physical contact into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and how Stan also works with that too. Like you'll have somebody lie down, you know, with their head in their partner's lap. Sure, lovers. You know, lovers, and yeah. stroke their hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a great intervention. Mm-hmm. I, another example, like, like this couple comes in, they were they had their pre-session warm-up fight. Okay, they come in hot. So they came in hot. You know, you didn't have to have the warm-up band or anything, and mm-hmm. so they're ready to roll. And they started rolling, and um, as she's talking to him, she's patting her upper chest just below her mm-hmm. neck. She's patting, patting, patting. She's really upset. She's kind of complaining to him, and so I'm. As a somatic therapist, I'm tracking a lot of the nonverbal signals. Mm-hmm. I'm tracking their pace, tracking their posture, I'm tracking gestures, um, I'm tracking how they, the geography between their bodies. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, you're patting yourself. She says, yeah. And you're pretty upset. And so I'm contacting their present moment experience. Mm-hmm. Like you're really hurt by what happened. And one thing I know is that people often do unto their bodies that which they wish others would do unto them. Mm-hmm. So this was, there was a guess, you know, and so I thought maybe you'd like to have him pat you like you're patting yourself. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of looks at her hand like it belongs to somebody else, <laughs> you know, and then she says, oh, maybe, maybe. I said, you want to give it a shot? And she said, okay. And so he crawls around on the couch behind her, he wraps his arms around her and starts patting her. Mm-hmm. You know, and we got the same pace and the same intensity, the same pressure, you know, sort of really duplicated mm-hmm. what she was doing. And and she just weeps, mm-hmm. like for 20 minutes. At the end of the 20 minutes, she said, Tim, that's all I wanted. Oh, wow. You know, they were arguing to get close, but, you know, it's like, you know, starting a war to get peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, do you feel a sense of risk as you're as you're asking people to do this? Is that do you feel like oh no, are they gonna you know uh, are they gonna are they gonna go for it? Are they gonna go with it? I mean, how much how much are you how much how much maybe it'd be a good way to just talk about these as experiments, as a sense, yeah. and how you yeah. and how you frame them, uh, what you're setting up and what you're watching for once you've sort of be got the ball rolling. Yeah, there is some risk and it's quite small. Um, the body, I think there's much more risk of going with words. Mm. I think that's a better answer. Mm-hmm. That the, the body, the source of the information in the body is really high quality because you can't sanitize it the way you can sanitize words. Mm. You know, it, the, the body doesn't lie. And so you can see stuff when you, you know, when you get good at reading people's bodies, you can see stuff that people are are not even aware. She wasn't aware of what her hand was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm thinking, and people communicate, the unconscious communicates in many different ways. Words are like 20 to 30% of, of what's being communicated according to studies. So I think as therapists, even if you're not a somatic psychotherapist, I think being able to notice the body, Mm -hmm. um, and to contact it is really important because if you don't, you're missing most of commu- the communication that's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, your partner comes home and, and they, you know, have a little scowl, you know, or you can hear them walking up the stairs, boom, 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 louder than they usually do. And part of you cringes and your muscles around your shoulders tighten. And they come in the door, you see their scowl, they see your tight shoulders. Even this is going to be really messed up. Mm-hmm. That's the entrance doorway to hell. You know, <laughs> and nobody's saying it, but they, you know, your amygdala notices all this stuff. Mm. Like it's very fast. It has to be fast because it's accessing danger. So like 400 times the speed of your prefrontal cortex. Mm. So, you know, you take this in and then you prepare for it and you defend yourself. Your defenses trigger the other person you're off and running. 
So I think the risk is low because of the quality of information. Mm-hmm. However, when you get to like experiments, like, oh, here's this clever idea I have. Mm-hmm. There's a little more risk. There's not much risk with me because I'm so enthusiastic about it mm. that they're just going to follow. They're going to limbically follow the enthusiasm. Mm. Wow, this is, a, this is a cool thing we could do here. Mm-hmm. Now let me describe it to you and you can see if you want to do it. You don't have to do it. You know, but let's see. So I had a great idea with a couple. It's a, I'll change some of the details about them. He was British. She was American. Okay. And he was very, very highly, highly, highly educated. Mm. And, um, and so they had this pursue or distance or kind of relationship. So my clever idea was we would do a couple sculpture mm-hmm. about it. So it's one form of, you know, what you can do somatically where you do a, a visual, physical representation of the psychological dynamic and the pattern. Sure. So I set up this nice sculpture into the sculpture and he looks at me and he says i'm sorry but i don't play charades <laughs> <laughs> so that was i failed you know like but i did redeem it too so i i back, you know I, i'm not going to push it you know you have to you want to inspire people you know mm-hmm. to go into their inner world so i said okay well, let's let's not do that how about we'll do a metaphor I thought mm-hmm. metaphor is more cerebral and mm-hmm. uh, I've got a, I said, why don't you each come up with a metaphor for this place you get stuck in? And so she came up, her metaphor she came up with was, um, I'm walking along a barren heath hmm. in the middle of nowhere and dusk is falling the way it is beginning to fall now as we're mm. talking. And and in the distance, I see a little cottage with a light on. It's getting darker and darker. I'm worried, you know, I want to be somewhere warm and cozy for the evening. Don't want to be outdoors. I Finally, I find my way to the cottage. And um, in my mind, this is an old English cottage with a thatched roof. And, mm-hmm. um, and I knock on the door, knock, 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 knock. And from deep inside, I hear a voice. And the voice says, go away. Mm. So I thought, very clear, you know, point of view from a pursuer in a relationship. And I said, mm-hmm. what do you do then? Mm-hmm. She was also a very proper lady. Mm-hmm. She then says, then I break the fucking door down. <laughs> <laughs> so I there said, you go. Well, <laughs> there you go. Right? Yeah, then they're off and running. And so I said, well, let's, how about I'll give you a different ending and you can both see how you like the ending. Mm-hmm. And at the same beginning, she's walking across the seats. She sees the cottage, the lights on, she knocks on the door. And, you know, and the person inside says, go away. And I say, but then you say, I've brought a, a, a cartload of bricks and mortar to make mm. the walls of your cottage even stronger and more impenetrable. Mm. And I turned to him and I said, what would you say then? Huh. And, and he said... I'll be right out. (laughs) (laughs) And it formed the basis of therapy for us that it's this paradoxical thing that I don't know. It's, it's, it it appears to be paradoxical. It's not at all, but the appearance of paradox is that by supporting somebody's defense, you actually help soften it. Mm -hmm. So instead of trying to break the door down, which is what she regularly tried to do and just made, him resist her more. She supported the defense. Mm-hmm. And um, it's another principle from Hakomi. Um, and it's very helpful in couples therapy, which is you get the partner in the position of supporting each other's ways of defending themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's a very intimate thing to do. People that usually don't support each other's defenses, they, tr- they do try to break the door down. Mm-hmm. And they don't get any credit for it. And therapists can be terrible about this too, you know, mm-hmm. in their own relationships, you know, because they're smart, you know, they see the defenses and they think their job is to get rid of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, at least the partner could do would be to pay them for, for their mm-hmm. efforts, you know, but <laughs> none of our partners really appreciate this stuff very much. Mm-hmm. 
what what's in it for what's in it for her i mean i guess she gets a different she might get a different outcome she's playing along to see what happens yeah Um, but why would she why would she want to go along with his defenses at that at that moment is it just to is it the learning experience or well she knows that it's going to fail anything else is going to fail you know she's been down that pathway so many times it's so painful for both of them what happens after that you know, mm-hmm. so it's the, we've got, to, you've bottomed out on this one, you know, like you can keep going down the same path, you know, and it's just going to be painful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're like bad rats. You know, at least rats will figure out after like 15 trials where the cheese is in that maze. Mm-hmm. You know, human beings will starve to death because they'll just keep going down the same neural mm-hmm. pathways over and over again and never mm-hmm. get the cheese. And that's what happens in a relationship. It's so entrenched in these things. Mm-hmm. So part of it is that, Yes, there's something else possible here. Let's try it out. And when he said, yes, I'll be right out, she saw the intelligence of it. Uh-huh. And she followed it. It uh-huh. really, it, it, you know, she then, she practiced it. It wasn't easy for her. Um, I have a couple now where she is very persistent. And she's very sweet about her persistence. Mm-hmm. But to him, it feels like violating his boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like he'll say no, and she'll keep going. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we started exploring, you know, like you keep going down the same track and he feels like he's being tortured. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not a bad person. He's not a bad person, but it's just, it really triggers him. Mm-hmm. So let's see about backing off from this, from this persistence. So as soon as he says mm-hmm. no, you back off. Mm-hmm. But let's run it through and you can notice you know, like get him to say no. So I'll do as much as I can in a session experientially because mm-hmm. you get much deeper information than this conversation. Mm-hmm. So he'll say no. You can back off. You can say, okay, so we can talk about this later. I'm going to back off now. And notice what parts of you inside object to that. Mm-hmm. Because the one who, who objects, that's, the, that's, the, the, that's the, the part of her I want to meet, the part that objects to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it tied right into all her stuff about abandonment. It's really hard for her to let go. Mm. And the more she would try to hold on, of course, the more enraged he would become. And then he looks like the bad guy, Mm -hmm. Um, which enraged him even further. Um, But Now, the part of her that you want to get in contact with, and that goes back to that that you actually kind of want to to, um, rev the engine of that part, it sounds like, in certain ways to kind of see to kind of listen to it and understand it and, and, and that, and that deepens it. Is that, is that, am I getting that right? Yeah. I mean, if we try again to take that part away mm-hmm. or to fix that part, then, then there's trouble. We're asking for trouble because we're just going to set up a, a system between therapist and client of trying to fix them. And they're, um, they're resisting us because it's, it's, they feel like they're endangered in some way. She feels like she's endangered of losing all connection if she lets go. And of course, mm-hmm. just the opposite is true, but she's a whole history of people leaving mm-hmm. her. And so it, it, it evokes that, those old injuries, which then get replayed in the relationship. And this is true for everybody. You know, we're all the unfair beneficiaries of each other's ancient injuries, which often go back generations. Mm-hmm. And you're collecting information too. I mean, this isn't you. You, um, you see a big part of your job as to as to a gatherer of information as well. Um, is that right? Yeah, I am always gathering information, and I'm not gathering it. You know, I have a nice little form people can fill out before sessions and give me some history and nice information but that's not as important as watching how their bodies move into the room together mm. you know or where they sit in relationship to uh, to each other or how mm-hmm. much they look at each other or you know one person's looking at me the other person's looking at their partner all that stuff that's the nonverbal stuff i it's easy to downgrade it as less important information uh-huh but i think it's more important information yeah it's almost like that and then it, you know, I think for me, I often think of the information as connecting to the to the to the body, but it's more like you're watching the body and then sort of going, oh, that fits with that 
you know, with the way that he walked into the room, yeah. that would make sense based on that. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like that really kind of leads you in a certain way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's a, a couple that came in once for, I remember the first session and she comes kind of bouncing into the room first. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she bounces and sits down quickly and he comes sauntering into the room, <laughs> you know, his hands like, like, uh, like clasped together behind his back, like really like strolling into mm-hmm. the room. It was a very, very clear difference mm-hmm. there. And, and that, was the, that was the essence of what was bothering them. Mm. A really different sense of pace and timing. And they had gotten to a big fight the previous evening where she made dinner. Dinner's ready at 5.30. He's on his way home from the construction site. And this is here in Marin, you know, and, and he, he said, you know, so he comes home like two hours late. And, and she said, well, what happened? He said, well, you know, I was driving home on Highway 1 and the sun was still up. It was summer, midsummer. The sun was up. The wind was up. And I thought, oh, this would just be a perfect day to go, to go on surfing. Mm. You know, and my board was in the back of the truck. And so I just turned the truck around and went surfing. You know, yeah, like in, you, you could think of it as passive aggressive, but it wasn't. You know, it was just like very spacey guy. You know, mm-hmm. he just mm-hmm. loves surfing and he doesn't think about the impact and doesn't think about her mm. there. You know, and she's like, okay, you know, let's get everything moving. And it's this mm-hmm. very different sense of pace. Mm-hmm. But you could see it as they walked in, like uh-huh. how they, you could see their whole world view and how they walked into the office. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, uh, and for you, that often connects to attachment patterns. That that there's that there's something there's there's often an archetype or a or a pattern of something that happened earlier. Is that would you say that's true? Yeah, it may be in the attachment realm. It could be in the trauma realm. It could just be in your you know bread and butter developmental injuries. You know mm-hmm. that that we all have like a set of experiences we're supposed to have developmentally. Mm-hmm. You know, like feeling welcomed into the world, knowing that our needs are going to be taken care of, mm-hmm. you know, having our autonomy supported, mm-hmm. um, being valued for who we are rather than what we do, things mm-hmm. like that. And then when they don't, then, you know, there's an injury and then surrounding the in- injury in a way, encasing the injury are these strategies, mm-hmm. these life strategies. You can think of those character strategies. Mm-hmm. And so, for instance, if... Um, if my needs aren't reliably taken care of, then a strategy to protect myself around those injuries might be to um, not have needs, or if I do have needs, never talk about them to other people, mm-hmm. and to not and to really not let anybody know that that I I have needs. Mm-hmm. So I become very self reliant. And so it's a, it's a life strategy that's a compensation for difficult situations in which we grow up. And those strategies, in my book, there's a whole section on character and how character strategies mm-hmm. intermesh with each other. Um, and there, you know, there are a lot of different strategies. Um, and they have beliefs connected with them and injuries. And those, you really want to know what those are for your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to know where, the, it's like you want to know where the sand traps are on the, golf course of your relationship you know and you can hit the ball there if you want you know and you know what the evening is going to be like or you can do something else or you can talk about it you know mm-hmm. like, that's what's going on but those are important and then finding ways of working with those wounds the underlying wounds the underlying missing experiences because we're all hoping that you know we're gonna our partner is finally going to do what nobody else has done mm-hmm. no matter how badly we behave especially they'll do it and of course we behave badly enough and then they don't want to do it Mm-hmm. Are we hitting some of the some of the bullet points? Is that that you were saying? You know that that in the course is is there anything that you're kind of you know that that you want to highlight here in terms of you said you know I could run through the bullet points and I just wanted I oh oh yeah yeah oh yes you've got a good memory um, that that was about volatile couples no we haven't talked about much about volatile couples I, I've talked about you know in my more general course. Uh, I've hit some of the bullet points. I, I think it deserves mindfulness deserves a little more attention. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I'm happy to talk about 
volatile couples and you know mm-hmm. three or four things you can do with volatile couples people i think your audience would probably like that great because it's yeah. so tricky Yes, I think that's true. And so we have a busy agenda here. And then we have the, um, the I, was, I would love to get to the meditation because I think that would be a really nice thing to right. do. So, okay. Can we, well, can we, we take do in all that? that? Or, yeah, let's take in that order. Let's, let let's me go. make a, a pitch for mindfulness. Yes. And then, uh, and then talk about vowels and couples and then we'll do a little meditation. Great. See. So, mindfulness. I used to run a program at the CIAS called Compassion, Mindfulness and Compassion for Psychotherapists. It's a year-long program, certification program. And um, we'd have all these like mindfulness folks from around the country, you know, and we'd have like big shots and authors and little shots and me. And, um, and then at the end, I could certify people as being compassionate and mindful. Not really. Would but you like certificate. Would you dong their heads? Or yeah, something? right. I got they have the magic wand. And <laughs> came part of it. I, I like that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, some of the research at the time was that fifty percent of therapists in the United States they say they use mindfulness in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And I I put that in a similar category to in the bathroom at CIS. It said, be mindful to close the door or something like that. Like, used mindfulness in the bathroom. You know, it's so overused. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and a bunch of people I know got together, had a conference on mindfulness, and they spent like the first couple of hours arguing about the definition. Mm. You know, so I think people have different ideas. That's settling down a little bit. My definition of it is golden retriever consciousness. Mm. You know, I like, especially golden. I, I don't I, I like different kinds of dogs, but golden retrievers like have this kind of warmth and curiosity, you know, and they want to bound up to you and put their paws on you and slobber and, you know, smell you and welcome that sense of curiosity and warmth and welcome huh. uh-huh. is really the heart of mindfulness. You know, they're more erudite definitions, you know, paying attention to present time experience, you know, without judgment or trying to change it, for instance, a more traditional one. Mm-hmm. Philippe Golden calls it who's a researcher at Google calls it high resolution awareness. Mm. It's a more mm-hmm. technical kind of thing, but I like golden retriever consciousness. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's the application to couples, you know, like, like, wow, I'm really triggered here. Like what's going on, mm. you know, like, and then my job is to help people study what, what happens with them, how they're organized in the relationship, where they're triggered, where their wounds are, what are the missing experiences? How do they behave in ways to get less of what they want? How to, um, to, to send them in, basically it's mindfulness assisted self-discovery. Hmm. You know, so we're, cause in mindfulness, basically you can, you can get much more information than in conversational consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, I could say, you know, why do you think, you know, you, you are that way? That's not going to take you very far. It'll come up with a hypothesis or an abstraction. And people will say that to me. And, and then I'll, I'll say, well, let's find out hmm. what's going on there. Like, let's have you contemplate saying I love you to your partner to whom you've never said it. And notice what comes up in the moment. What happens hmm. to your body? What happens to sensations, your muscles? your thoughts, images, memories, whatever comes up. So you're encouraging people I want to create some kind of experience in therapy because the brain neural pathways change with experience. They don't change with the conversation unless it's a really intense conversation, mm-hmm. but it's the experiential part that actually rewires the brain. Hmm. So that's why I very want to work on the experiential realm. The body is full of rich with experience, but I think mindfulness and the body go really closely together. So, and it doesn't, a lot of body therapists will th- will say, you know, and what's happening in your body? And, you know, about 20% of clients will just think that's the stupidest thing they ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, but with mindfulness, you can pretty much enroll most people in it. Huh. Like, you know, why don't you stay with it? that, that you have got that sadness right now. I can, I can see it in you, just under your eyes and how you're holding your head. And let's, Let's let that sadness be here. Let's take our time with it. Let's welcome it. Let's, let's extend this warmth and this curiosity to it so we can find out more about it. And you don't have to figure anything out. 
Just stay with the sadness and let's let it unfold on its own. Let it, mm. let it take us wherever it wants us to go. So I'll say stuff like that, you mm-hmm. know. It's, it's very moving as you say it, yeah. Mm. Poetry and psychotherapy, I think, could go very well together. Mm. Being able to talk poetically evokes a different kind of part of people. Mm-hmm. Mm. So anyway, that's my pitch for mindfulness. It's nothing, it's not formal. I don't like to use the M word mm-hmm. in therapy, you know, because people have such, all, they have all different associations with it. And, but I want to enroll them in this activity of warmth and curiosity about my own process and my partner's process. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how did you see how she got triggered there? There's this way that she just went dead. Mm. You know, right when you said that, did you notice that? Mm. No, you know, no. Just tune, take a moment, tune into her and partner, tune into this own, like you just got gray, hmm. you know, and this grayness and this kind of hopelessness. Let's stay with that. And so, you know, this mindfulness turned inward, like towards you, you know, yourself, and mindfulness turned outward towards your partner. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of a relational piece, like mindfulness about the soup that we're in together. Like, oh, wow, we do this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I pursue you, you back up. The more you back up, the more desperate I become. And then I pursue you more, and then you, you get like really freaked out about that, you know? And mm-hmm. so let's get mindful. Let's, let's do this pattern on purpose, and let's, every step of the way, let's study it. Mm-hmm. You know? So go ahead and pursue me, and notice this pursuit. Notice this yeah. drive to make contact, even though I'm saying, back off. Something yeah. is still driving you. So go ahead and feel that. And then, you know, when you say, and then, then, and then you back up and feel that part of you that backs up, mm-hmm. that says enough, I need some boundaries here. I need to pull back. You know, this feels really intrusive. You know, like maybe there are memories which go with that or impulses or words, like really let yourself study that. Give us a report, like what, where do you go with that? Mm-hmm. And then and you can do that. Go ahead. Well, you could see how then, how then you don't have to hold the outcome as much of where things are going to go. I mean, I, you really get a sense that it, unro- it unfolds in real time in, the, yeah. in your description of this. Yeah. I don't know where it's going to go a lot of the time. I'm really trusting this organic process. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm trusting that if I, st- if I can help people stay with their experience, that it will unfold in some healing way. And that's probably true like in the high 90s percent of the time. Not hundred, yeah, but a lot. And 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 it it just the the term nonviolence from your book just comes to mind um, as you're mm-hmm. as you're describing this process. And so can we can we go from nonviolence and then segue into conflict? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> go from nonviolence. That's to the wrong violence. direction, but yeah. let's go from nonviolence to violence. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? You know. I mean, in couples therapy, people are, I mean, violence is a strong word, but they can get mean to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe nonviolence is, there's a dedication to nonviolence that I have. Um, because I think it's a better way to live. I think create a better world that way. Mm-hmm. And it's a dedication to not harming people. Sometimes you harm people unintentionally, sometimes unconsciously sometimes out of being triggered, you know, there are different ways people do things. Um, But I think that creating a sense of safety in a therapeutic container is critical. And with dedication to not harming and to not allowing people to harm each other Mm -hmm. in therapy seems very important to me. Mm -hmm. Because once they harm each other, you enter this cycle of, this vicious cycle, as opposed to a cycle of generosity and what, we want to do as couples therapy is ultimately create a psycho generosity mm. where feeling like you love me and care about me. I want to be generous to you. And then I do generous things, which then they, it feeds on itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm nonviolence. That dedication is very important. And, and there are inevitable breaches of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are very important therapeutically. And I, I had a client who, she, I was the fifth couples therapist, mm. so you, you know that's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Because a choice between me and the lawyer, <laughs> and they traveled from a long distance. They were both psychologists, <coughs> and 
in an early session, towards like 10 minutes before the end of the session, she starts um, telling me about how she had been uh, molested as a child. Mm. And I should probably have figured out like, okay, let's save this when we have enough time. This mm. is like, but she was in there and I wasn't interrupting her. And sure enough, there's a knock on the door. Oh. On the outside door, not the outside door of the waiting room, but still it's intrusive. Mm -hmm. And like, this has happened like twice in 30 years of therapy, but this mm. is one of the times. And it's a FedEx guy, <laughs> you know, instead of my office is like across the yard from my house. So why he's delivering packages to my office rather than the house, I have no idea. Yeah. But, you know, I said, you know, like in the future, deliver all the packages to uh -huh. the house. Come back in the session. She's just in a rage. Mm. And she says, you know, this is the worst injury I've ever had. Oh. And you did it. You know, you failed to protect me and you failed to protect the space. And she was right. You know, I failed to protect the space. I should maybe have a sign, FedEx guys, go somewhere else. <laughs> and really upset. And, um, and she was like really kind of putting me through the ringer, you know? And so it was, she experienced this violence. She experienced being harmed by me mm -hmm. there. And um, got lots of phone calls during the, the week mm. and really mad at me. And then she came in really mad at me. And, but you could see how she was destroying the relationship with this kind of anger. Mm. And her husband's watching this whole thing between us. Mm -hmm. Like he's taking note of this. And, and, she says, you know, my, because of what I've been through, my individual therapist says, I should be able to say anything I want when I get mad. Hmm. I actually did check that one out. It was not true. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I said, okay, so you feel like it's really important to kind of be as, like, just pull out the plugs with me, you know, hmm. and be as mean to me as you can, and that that's going to be helpful. And she said, yes, absolutely. And after, like, you know, lots of consultations during the week where everybody told me to set limits and structure mm. and stuff like that. I said, okay, if you really think this is what's going to help you here, mm -hmm. let's do it. I think I can kind of keep my center for five minutes. I'm probably not over that. You know, mm. if you don't more than five minutes, you're going to hurt my feelings too much. And then I'm not going to be a good therapist <laughs> for you. But let's do it for five minutes. And both of us, let's get mindful. Let's, I'll tell you what it's like for me. And you can see what it's like for you. And she said, oh, that's great. She said, I don't actually need to do it. Just ah. your willingness. It's great. Mm -hmm. And she turns to her husband and she says, what would you like to talk about? <laughs> and he, it's like, really, it's like a very unusual thing. And he, okay. said, he said, well, I'd like to tell you that we're going to get divorced. Oh, boy. He said, I, watching how you act with Rob, that's exactly how you act with me. Oh, wow. That's intolerable. And she said, oh, you know what? You're right. I'm really out of line. I don't blame you. Oh, my God. That's so sweet. Where, you, where did that come from? You know? like, <laughs> it's like the, the saddest and sweetest. Like, and then do they, do they sail off into the sunset after that? Or what, what happened? They, they got divorced. Oh, they did? They did, yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh -huh. But that was, you know, therapeutic, you know, we have a lot of power, you know, there's a lot of transference and all that. Like mm -hmm. I become her, became her abuser and, you know, it's hard. I think one of the hardest things for therapists is to have be projected on, you know, yeah. we like the positive ones. You're the savior, you know, and right. But the negative ones are hard, but so I try to kind of create a safe container. It sounds, yeah, it sounds like it. And, and so, and I think this then ties into the, into the conflict piece um, about what do you do when you, when, I mean, especially because so much of what you're talking about, it, 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 it's a, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sort of a, it feels like a softer approach in a sense. I don't know if that, mm. if that matches for you, but, um, but then what do you do when you're just met with, with, you know, sort of vitriol from a couple and, you know, and you, and, and, can you can you talk a little bit about about how you position yourself around that or how you position yeah. the therapy 
Yeah. Yeah. As I started saying before, it's one of the trickiest things. And mm-hmm. once a couple gets going in that, they can develop a head of steam that is tremendous momentum. And it's like trying to stop a freight train with your bare hands. You know, the, the force of that is going to be hard, stronger than anything you can do if you let it go too far. Mm-hmm. I know Stan has a different approach to it, um, but I don't have the, the I don't have the willingness to kind of listen to it. And I, and I think that it's not so good for people to do it because mm-hmm. they can do it at home for free. Mm-hmm. So, um, I remember once I was watching a couple do this and it was terrible. And the previous evening, a friend of mine who teach, taught, t- teaches at a university in Colorado uh, in the graduate program had sent me, and we sometimes co-taught couples therapy. She sent me an article um, from my most embarrassing moments from mm. Women's Day magazine. Mm. And so I interrupted them. This couple, I said, wow, you know, your argument here really reminds me of this article I read last night in Women's Day magazine. Hmm. So that was enough to shut them up in a way. You know, how many guys read Women's Day magazine? And I said, do you want to hear what it is? So this is an interruption technique, basically. You can do anything. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was a really, it's a very good interruption. It was about the same topic. It was about, it was a child rearing uh, parenting uh, conflict. Mm Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, in this article, this, this mom and this little girl are in the bank. And this is the time when people would still go to banks, mm-hmm. you know. And, and there's a long line. And, and the little girl is, like, entertaining herself. You know, she's got some crayons out. She's, like, you know, scattered deposit slips across the floor, drawn on the remaining ones. And she's creating havoc in the bank. And it's the point where other people on this long line are, like, you know, giving the mom an evil eye. You know, the get control of your child, ma'am, I. And the little girl's smart enough to keep out of arm's length, (laughs) you know, for mom, and mom's not going to get out of the line. So eventually the girl makes a mistake. Mom grabs her and says, young lady, you stand right here by me and stop running around the bank and drawing on things. And, and you stay here until we're out of the bank or when we get home, I'm going to tell daddy um, what you've done. And the little girl in a louder voice, that's what everybody can hear, says, old lady, get your hands off me right now. Or when we get home, I'm going to tell grandma that I saw you kissing daddy's pee-pee last night. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to maintain an argument in the face of that, right? It is. So that's a, it's basically a distraction technique. Got it. Got it. And did you, did they really remind you of that or is it just a no, way? No, they really did. That is what I was thinking. I was relying on my own unconscious to give uh-huh. me some, some signals that it would just seem so hopeless. Cause I was thinking these people, maybe you should see a couples therapist and I don't even know any, you know, <laughs> right. I was so flummoxed by it. Uh-huh. But that, that's, that's one thing, but there are some more sophisticated things you can do and slightly more sophisticated, but not much more sophisticated is, people don't argue with their eyes closed mm. generally. Mm. And so you can contact them. You can say, I can see how upset you each are here. Go ahead and close your eyes. Mm. And so you want to, I want to disconnect the conversation. And this is a mindfulness moment. Close your eyes and notice how upset you are and let yourself um, follow it for a little bit. Like notice all the times you've been upset, the whole, the whole chain of this upset, mm-hmm. you know, with your present partner, past partner, parents, anybody, let any previous incidents come to you here. Notice what's happening in your body. Notice the impulses. Notice the feelings. Notice what's underneath those feelings. So like it's a mindfulness moment and you want to separate them. You don't want, I don't want people to talk to each other in that state because it's going to be entirely patterned. I want them to get out of the pattern. Uh-huh. And, um, and then, so I want them to talk to me um, rather than each other. So then it becomes more of a Kissinger diplomacy or, you know, mm-hmm. working with one person a little bit to um, help them get a handle on how they've gotten triggered, then working with the other one and having each partner witness the other person's process, mm. which can often, when they see what's underneath, like, you know, the, the partner who's yelling about how unavailable their husband is, 
Mm-hmm. And when we get down to the attachment injuries about how how abandoned and how deeply frightened you know she was as a child, mm-hmm. that's often very touching to their partner, mm-hmm. and they can become an ally rather than an adversary mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So those are some things: it's mindfulness, distraction techniques, closing the eyes. But you're looking for what Sue Johnson is calling that those primary feelings underneath. But you can't do it when they're yelling at each other. So you yeah. have to kind of I think you have to stop at that point and then say, let's spend a little bit of time with this for each of you. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I think we, I think we're doing good on our list here. We got, we got one more item, which is a, which is a meditation. Are you up for it? Yeah, I am up for it. Okay. Um, I was, you you asked me about it, you know, the, I use meditations in my clients and I don't, this is kind of a little process um, that we do sometimes that's right along these lines, what we we're just talking about. Mm. And I thought we could expand it a little bit to how we're all doing in this, you know, really extraordinary situation we find ourselves in now. Mm. Like it's a world that none of us know about, like it's mm. co- totally new. And, um, you know, this is going to be in the history books. You know, we're making history right now, and we're all affected financially, and we're affected socially. And I'm seeing a lot of clients are, you know, very, you know, lonely and scared, and um, or couples who aggravate each other. Couples who normally get along pretty well, and they're like aggravated. Like, can you know, have some space, you know, occasionally mm-hmm. from each other? Um, but it's a hard world right now, and this is yeah. it's like a sweet thing. Um, so I'll just I'll just run us through it, and wonderful. Um, you can yeah. see what it's like, and you know, p- listeners might feel like they can use it with couples sometimes. Great. So, yeah. So just take a moment to turn your attention inside, and just to move from the outside world to the inside world. You know, the, in your case, it's the world of interviewing. You know, this crazy guy. You know, Marin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever people are doing, you know, from there. I wouldn't do this in the car, listen to this in the car, but you can move from the outside to the inside. And notice all what's going on in there, you know, thoughts and feelings, images, memories, impulses, anything that's going on in there. You don't have to, you don't have to look for anything in particular. Just practice welcoming whatever it is with warmth and curiosity. So whatever, you know, joy or the entertainment or the grief, whatever is there, just be kind to it. And you can think of a way that you get injured in a relationship. You know, maybe your partner says something mean, or they say no, or they get triggered and they do that obnoxious thing we always do. And it hurts your feelings. They turn away from you a little bit too suddenly, or they've got that squinty-eyed look, or their hands on their hips, or they're talking fast and you feel pushed. Whatever it is, it can be a small thing. So find some realm of injury. Could be feeling intruded on, or humiliated, doubting yourself. And just practice this sense of kindness towards this part. Like hold it tenderly. I mean, you can even imagine like how you would hold a newborn infant with that infinite tenderness mixed with welcome and warmth and sense of miraculousness. And usually we try to make these things go away because they're, they're unpleasant, but See what happens if you hold it with tenderness. Your own part that gets injured. 
Maybe you're doubting that your partner loves you or you always feel pushed by them. Or never feel really seen or heard. So hold it kind of gently. And then look at this other person. So it could be anybody that you're in a relationship with. It could be a friend or a colleague. But if there's a, a, an intimate partner that you have now or in the past, I'd recommend them. Or it could be a parent. Somebody where there's a lot of more emotional charge. And think of them for a moment. and Let yourself... Tune into your best guess of the injured place in them. You know, when they do that awful, obnoxious thing they're always doing, probably comes from this injured place. Like maybe they don't really need you, or they pretend to not need you. Or maybe they always have to be the bigger one or the faster one. Or maybe they put the brakes on all the time. Or maybe they're so needy that you feel averse. Whatever it is, it probably comes from an injured place. And so the best of your knowledge, and you can ask them about this later, let yourself hold that injured place in the same way, the way you'd hold a newborn child. Just tenderly, with welcome, like, oh, so you got hurt here. This is where you're hurt. I can see that. And here's how you protect yourself. Not about me. You can see how you got hurt. Come on over here. Let me wrap my arms around you. Instead of having that kind of reaction, which you know is going to, you know, fan the flames. You're saying, okay, I can see your heart. And just let yourself take another moment here just to be kind to the hurt part in them. And I know it's unfair when they take it out in you. That's a given. We are all subject to that. And we all do that to our partners. But even in the face of this, you can protest the unfairness or you can exercise compassion here. And whenever you're ready, you can kind of come back out. Take anything you want with you. Smiling, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> it was more than smiling. I was really just, um, mm. yeah, no, it was, um, uh, yeah, I was thinking so about thinking about my wife and just all the stress we're holding right now with all this, yeah. you know, and just the the, the 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 kind of passing back and forth of of the anxiety and and how that. Um, how it just kind of um, uh, grinds grinds the gears, you know, as you're as you're passing back the the big anxieties yeah. that we're holding, everybody's holding right now. Yeah, there's some sadness or something too as you're talking. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah. I just wish that um, I wish it didn't have to be like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that it could be. Um, That there could be more room for um, more room for acceptance of the help that's given, and um, less demand mm. um, for the 
for the help. You know, it's like that, Mm -hmm. like that kind of, okay, you're giving, I I can accept how you're giving and I can see how demanding I'm, I here am being Um, more, more kind of back and forth in that, um, in that process. Yeah. And so part of that exercise would be then to take, to roll that back into it. Mm -hmm. Like and say, okay, so there's this demanding part of me or them, you know, right. And it comes from some kind of injury. And let me hold that in this, in the same way. Yes. In this way of kindness. And, and, and from there you can have a conversation, Uh you know, but you know, to say, oh, you're always so demanding, you know, like, Mm -hmm. what do you think you are? The captain of the universe, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not going to go anywhere, but, but say, you know, you get kind of demanding. And I think maybe you're scared or, Right, you know, or, or you know, somebody acted like that to you. You know, you grew up with demanding mom or dad or something like that, and you know, it's but you know, it's kind of hard for me. Mm-hmm. And but I can also see, you know, underneath that, you're scared, you're anxious about the situation. It's going to go. It makes sense to me. Mm. Wow. Well, that that's um, <laughs> that's. I, I mean, one thing that has been really important to me about about this episode i mean it's it, it's a little different in that it's um in that i really wanted it to feel more experiential uh, because that's what we're doing and yeah. um and i really appreciate you kind of being willing to 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 find ways to to get to that within within the interview today yeah well good i'm glad it was fun doing it yeah for me too i enjoyed myself <laughs> is there um anything else that people in the out there in the world should know about you or about your approach or how to find you anything that you Mm. want people to 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 be left with or to um to follow up with people are welcome to contact me um my website is robfishermft.com um and there's information there there's a trainings and workshops uh link in there which would take people to the online course. I've, you know, for the last five, seven years, I've taught a lot internationally. Right now, I'm ain't going nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're grounded. You're grounded, grounded for a while. So I'm here, and uh-huh. so I'm doing doing more stuff online. I'm creating workforces online. I'm going to do one for couples, um, not for therapists. I, I have the one I have now is for therapists. Okay. I'm going to do one for couples that I think will help therapists a lot, or help help therapists organize their couples so they can use therapy couples therapy better great so, so that that's not out yet but i'm working on that currently right and, and they, those, people, are, those are videos or how does it how do those work that'll be videos yeah it's an online mm-hmm. course so it's it's videos and there's some reading and there's some processes and they'll be there like with the one for therapists now we have four actual live webinars mixed in too cool people like practice online and they play out their clients and I coach them and I step in and demonstrate things. And it's actually a lot of fun. That sounds great. And the poem that you read, if you go to the about section of your website, it's there. So people can find that. You can find the poem there. Yeah. Um, And And they can contact me through the website too. My email address is wildtemple at AOL.com. I love that you still got the AOL website. I know it's a badge of honor. People tell me I'm so retro, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm so old that nobody has AOL anymore. But I, my son was like humiliated by the, my email address. But I, I like it. I was there at the start. There you go. You got mail. Um, that's great. Well, hey, Rob, this was great. I so appreciate the time. I feel like I was under the spell um, of all of this today. And I just, it really was a, it really was a fun, a fun time. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for for opening up the space and we did it together.